Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. That I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring about us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. I love that. So that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but I'm going to talk about it right now. We need to get to a place where we stand our ground all the time. That we don't submit even for an hour, even for a minute, even for a second. So that the gospel may remain with, with us and be introduced to the people who don't know it yet. Amen? Amen. Amen myself. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognized the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. Amen. And so <clears throat> I'm going to get into this for just a moment, but this honestly just seems like it's hard to make sense of. Him to the circumcised, me to the uncircumcised, what does it all mean? Right? In order to answer this question, we have to remember the purpose of the letter. Everything in context. Without context, you have nothing. And everything in context, this letter was written for a singular purpose. And that is to defend Paul's ministry. To show that he wasn't adding or taking anything away from the gospel. That he was, in fact, speaking of a pure Christ in him crucified unadulterated gospel and so with that in mind what is he trying to say in this council as he goes before the pillars of the church and tries to defend his ministry remember he's defending his ministry he's defending the truth that he's been revealed how many of you guys have some truth that you absolutely know is true okay how many of you guys that have some truth that you know is true, but it's not biblical? Right? I do. It's, it's not that it's anti-biblical. It's just not specifically stated in Scripture. I know I absolutely love my wife, but there's nothing in Scripture that says I should love Angela Mason. It's a truth that I'm willing to defend with my life because it is true. 
Amen? And so he's saying, listen, there is truth to be defended. And I'm here to explain to you that truth. All of us have truth. But our truth comes from revelation. Or our truth should come from revelation. Those things that God has revealed to us. Remember last week we talked about the definition of revelation. And that definition, just to go back over it, is supernatural disclosure of truth concerning divine things before unknown, given to the soul by God or Christ through the operation of the Holy Spirit. So it's a revelation or information that we didn't previously know of supernatural origin given by the Holy Spirit is the biblical definition of revelation, right? And so Paul had a revelation. Road to Damascus, he had a Christophany. Christ appeared before him, gave him a revelation of who he was, caused Paul to change the course of his whole life. And because of his revelation, he stood on the truth. You can stand on revelation or on the truth only when you know it's true. Otherwise, you're willing to compromise. You can capitulate. You can say, I'm not sure if that's exactly right or not. But let me tell you, when God shows up and you read it or you see it or, or it's confirmed in his word, you know that that is truth according to the word of God. You are then responsible because of that truth to take action on the truth you've been shown. It's the reason why I preach. It's the reason why we started the church. Because I have a, a conviction that the word of God needs to be taught. And God has placed a passion in me to do exactly that. To love people where they are, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they act like, regardless of how much money they have. This is a truth that I know that regardless of whether you're circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew or Greek, the gospel is available to everyone. And because of that revelation, my action is that we started a church. Amen? Now everybody has revelation that they have to take action towards. But we do it in what we consider the truth. Sadly, there's people out there that have grabbed a hold of untrue truths. You guys ever heard somebody say, well, my truth says blank. My truth said that I should be able to have an abortion. My truth says that I should be able to identify as whatever gender I identify as. My truth is that I, I should be able to do whatever I feel like doing as long as it doesn't harm anyone. All of these are anti-scriptural, so they're not truths. The fact of the matter is, you have to take action only on the truth that you've been given. And Paul was given the truth. The truth of the gospel, the greatest truth that there is, the greatest revelation that there is in all of Scripture is found in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no one goes to the Father except through Christ Jesus. And because of that revelation, a revelation that every believer should have come to an understanding of, you have an action that you're required to take based on that information. Pastor Rick talked to it a little while ago. He said, what is compelling you? That verse says Christ's love compels you. Christ's love caused you to receive revelation. And in that revelation should compel you to do something. And so in this, Paul is defining to the pillars of, of the church the truth as he understands it in hopes that they will accept him for the revelation that he got everybody okay all right so
Here's the points that I'm going to make. We've read through the text. The first thing I want to tell you is that truth prepares itself. If you've been given truth, and you've been given the gospel, that Christ and Him crucified, that there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Christ Jesus. If you've been given a calling, as Paul has been given a calling, you have to prepare yourself to accomplish whatever that calling is. I want you to look at the first few lines of this text. It said, after 14 years. Did you hear that? Paul was 14 years before he presented himself to the pillars of the church. It doesn't mean he didn't immediately start doing whatever God called him to do. It's that he didn't actually officially go to the pillars of the church and ask them or talk to them about what had happened in his life for 14 years. Why? Because he understood, as I believe we should understand, that sometimes whatever we've been called to has to be prepared in us. Just because I've been called to something doesn't mean I'm ready to do that something. Sometimes you have to, you have to test it. You have to work through it. You have to make sure the message is right, that the person is right, that the vessel is right. You guys have heard the story several times of me telling you how I came to ministry. Pastor Rick, every six months for six years, told me, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. Until finally he said, you're ready, go talk to Pastor. And that day that I got to talk to Pastor, Pastor asked me if I wanted to come work as a pastor in his church. Had Pastor Rick not realized that even though I knew what I was called to, I wasn't prepared to do what I was called to, I would have been a hot mess. So many of us realize, we need to realize, all of us are called to something. As a matter of fact, I want you to do this for me. Repeat after me. I have a calling. Everybody in this room has a calling. Yours may not look like mine, Mine doesn't look like yours. There are people that are called to do all sorts of ministries, all sorts of things. And sometimes that ministry is just be a kind face in a room. Because let me tell you, the reason we went to Cornerstone Church is from an invite. The reason we stayed there is because a smiling face in a room made us feel at home long enough to stay there to find Jesus. Whoever smiled at us, greeted us, ushered us, prepared us, to receive what God had for us. That was their calling. And they're equally responsible for what's going on in this church right now. Is responsible for what's going on in this church right now as Pastor Davis' testimony is. We have to figure out what our calling is. It took Paul 14 years. Why so long? Because you got to test the calling. How do you test that calling? I want you to write these down because some of you are struggling. God, what is it you want from me? And when he gives you that answer, you need to test it. The first test that I would say that you need to do, and this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the text, except I want to equip you, is time. I got asked this question earlier this week. How will I know if this is what I'm called to? And the first answer I gave the kid was time. I said, if you, six years from now, have the same passion burning in you to do what you are doing right now, then you are called to it. If time, 
If it doesn't stand the test of time, it's not your calling. My pastor put it this way. I asked him, I said, you ever worry about burnout? And burnout's a real thing. I'm not trying to minimize it. I said, but have you ever worried about burnout? My pastor said, I don't worry about burnout for this reason. Because God supplies fuel to a fire he started. Now, that means sometimes we have to get on our face and seek that fuel. But that fuel is made available by God. And that fire will burn consistently over time. Why 14 years? Because he needed to prove that the fire in him hadn't burned out after 14 years. As a matter of fact, he was as passionate, if not more passionate, after 14 years than he was the day he got knocked off his horse. The second thing I'd recommend is commitment. What are you willing to accomplish to do to accomplish what you've been called to? What are you willing to endure to accomplish what you've been called to? Paul went through some hard stuff. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about how he'd been shipwrecked and beaten and drug outside the city and all these things. I'm sorry, hold to what are you willing to be committed to third study 2 Timothy 2.15 says this this is Paul speaking to Timothy his student be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth time commitment study wise counsel and finally the word of God your calling Paul's calling before he went to Galatia was 14 years in the making or before he went to Jerusalem was 14 years in the, in the making and people say man but God called me listen just because God called you doesn't mean somebody has to give you space to practice that calling you know why not I've had probably 20 I had a guy tell me one time he walked into church never met him before came to my office sat down and said hey my name is so and so and I was praying this morning and God told me to come here and tell you that I'm supposed to preach one Sunday in your church and I was like when God tells me the same thing we'll begin to talk about it because he hadn't been tested Paul had been tested, and he was willing to put in the work. Can I tell you, be willing to put in the work. Be willing to prepare yourself. If you have a calling, and you do, begin to seek the face of God. Allow time to work. Don't be discouraged because the door wasn't open for you the first day. The door wasn't open for me the first day either. Well, I take that back. It was in the parking lot. And then as a captain over the parking lot. And then a small group leader. And then a Sunday school teacher. Then a men's ministry director. And then a staff staff pastor. Paul went to work immediately. But it took 14 years to go to Jerusalem and defend what God called him to. Put your hand to something. People say, I can't get where I'm going. Well, you hadn't even taken a single step towards where you're called to. I can't trust you with a pulpit. I can't trust you with a microphone if I can't trust you to clean a toilet. And I know people, oh, man, that's tough. 
it's true if your pastor can clean the toilet here you can anyway let's move on and it is our responsibility to prove ourselves and we prove ourselves through work you're saved by grace you're proven by your work I know there seems to be a contradiction between James who talks about the work necessary of a Christian and the message of Romans where Paul says saved by grace but there's not a contradiction they're two different writings to two different people to explain the same truth that is by faith is by grace through faith that you're saved you can't do anything to accomplish that but I'll tell you the best way to determine whether or not you were actually tasted grace is to find out if it built a passion in you to want to do something. And Paul says, after 14 years, I went up. But why did he go up? He went up, according to this text, because of the revelation. Because he knew what he'd been called to. He knew what God told him to do. He knew who Jesus was. And he was determined to ensure that everyone that he met knew the same Jesus. Not some twisted Jesus, not some prosperity Jesus, not any other false religion Jesus, but the pure, I'll say it again, unadulterated gospel, no other gospel message. And that should be our desire too. And for us, that looks like work. I was telling somebody before service, What I thought pastoring was versus what pastoring actually is is about a third of what pastoring actually is. Two-thirds of pastoring, you guys never get to see. And I'm glad because it's horrible. You wouldn't, you, you, <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to watch it. It's boring. But the two-thirds make the one-third worth it. Why am I saying that? I'm telling you because we have to be willing to put in work that nobody else sees put in work that nobody else sees I've said it before the margin ministry happens in a margin I have my calendar and then everything outside what I calendarize is where most of my ministry happens you have a calendar you should build your calendar in such a way so that most of what you do for the ministry happens outside of your calendar in the margins those times when nobody's going to see you visit the widow. Nobody's going to see you cut somebody's grass. Nobody's going to see you pull over to the side of the road and change a tire. Nobody's going to see you. And I know it sounds silly the way it was written for sure. Nobody's going to see you give Easter baskets to rest stop ministries. Now why are we giving Easter baskets to grown women? Because the women have been abused their whole life. They've been misused their whole life. And some of them never got to be children and never got to see that somebody loved them just for the sake of loving them. And so is an Easter basket full of Easter candy treats worth buying so that we could say them someone loves you? Someone cares about you. Nobody's going to see that ministry. And I know I'm kind of off the subject here, but I, I just really want to impress on us that if we've been called, and we've all been called to something, 
then we have to prepare that calling. Took Paul 14 years. Took me, well, however long I've been saved, because I'm not there yet. Took me six years before somebody trusted me enough with pulpit ministry. What are you willing to give up? Paul was willing to give up everything. Not only was he willing to give up everything, he wasn't scared of critique. This is what the text says. I went up with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear. Did you hear that? For fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. That means Gentile. He, was, he wasn't a Jew. If your truth has to be defended, and it does, especially in today's society when everybody's upside down, weird, and doing crazy stuff, if you're going to defend it, that means you've got to be willing to be critiqued about it. Somebody's going to challenge your thought process. Somebody's going to tell you you're not thinking right. I, I don't like critique. My wife will tell you. I don't like people telling me I don't do stuff right. It wears me out. But I welcome it. You know why? Because what I found is in every critique, no matter how big or how small it is, how true in my mind it is or how untrue it is in my mind, there's a kernel of truth in it somewhere. There's something in that critique that sparked that critique to happen. And I, it's my responsibility to dig that out. You can't grow if you can't be critiqued. You can't grow if you can't be disciplined. Paul said, I feared that I might be running in vain. I feared that maybe I hadn't been telling them what was supposed to be told to them. So I went to the pillars of the church and let them, let them tell me whether or not I was doing right. He was willing to allow people to tell him that's not right. And that's hard. How often have you, or how willing have you, been to allow other people to critique you? You know, most of the people that leave this church leave this church. Well, not most. Most just, I don't know why they leave, because they just disappear. But most of the people that tell me they're leaving left because they were offended. You know why they were offended? Because they weren't able to take critique. Or they heard something in a sermon that rubbed their grain the wrong way. Let me tell you, if anything that I say offends you, first off, let me apologize because I don't want to be ungracious. But at the same time, if it came from Scripture, then it ain't me you need to be mad at. You need to be mad at God. Critique Him. Right? <laughs> and good luck. Start your prayer with, man, God, I don't think you're right about this. I'll tell you from experience, that doesn't work out. As a matter of fact, when we planted the church, I'm like, God, I don't think I'm supposed to go there. That's not true. You know why I didn't think we were supposed to come here? Because everybody, I've said this before jokingly, but it's true. Everybody that hated me lived here in this town. Which brings me to my, not next point, but the part of the point that I'm making. He was willing to face critique, but he brought people with him. 
two people specifically he brought with him, Barnabas and Titus. Barnabas was a guy that had witnessed Paul's testimony, had been a peer to Paul's testimony. Titus was a man that received from Paul's testimony. You know the best people to defend your ministry isn't you? It's the people that have seen the God change in you and people who have benefited from the God change in you. When we first started, the very first Easter we were here, I put some kind of Easter post on Facebook, and one of those people that absolutely hate me commented something very hateful. <laughs> and it wasn't the first Easter, I'm sorry, it was probably a couple of years ago. I don't I don't remember when it was. Now anyway. And so I'm talking to Pastor Eric Reed over at the Journey Church. I try to befriend as many pastors as I can because I realize I'm not the only voice in this town and so I'm talking to him and <coughs> oh I know what it was. He posted something. And that person hated on me about we had met for lunch or something and somebody just just diced me up on his Facebook page. And I called him, I said, Hey brother, see way you could take that down, you know delete that comment and he said yeah that's no problem I'll take care of it so he deleted the comment five minutes later the comments put back up there I called him again I said hey Eric can, I hate to be this guy can you take that down he goes no he said instead of defending yourself let the people who love you defend you that's exactly what happened probably 70 people or better got on his Facebook post and said that's not the Jim Cubic I know that's not the ministry I've borne witness to. That's not the ministry I've received from. Accept the critique. But no, there's people out here pulling for you. Why am I able to do what I do? Because I know there are people that have seen the work in God of God in me and who have benefited from the work of God in me. One of the first prayers I pray, there are three young men that I, I'm going to say this, I taught how to sin or at least played a significant role in their lifestyle when I was at the sheriff's office. I was second shift shift lieutenant, SWAT team leader, departmental firearms instructor, like the senior on campus. So all these kids come out of the recruit, out of the recruit academy and they're, they they want to hang out with the new with the with the senior. You guys know how that is. And these three kids attached themselves to me and, and I became friends with them and I taught them what it was to party and to drink and to chase women and do all the stuff that I'm horribly ashamed of but so grateful that the grace of God covered. When I knew I was coming back to this town, I, the day I realized that we're coming back, I asked God, as the enemy used me to disciple them to sin, give me an opportunity to disciple them for you and all three of those young men either got saved or baptized or both in this church why is that because God calls us to something gives us the ability to stand under the harsh critique of it and surrounds us with people that loves us to defend for us so we don't have to do it ourselves and I think that's beautiful because I'll be honest with you, I, there's, and I've tried, there's not enough things I can say to make me look good. Because at some point, you just make yourself look arrogant. It's better for somebody else to do it.
So it isn't scared of critique. And the most important thing I want to say is that truth through action is willing to be confrontational and confirmed. Verses 4 through 9 say this. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage, that we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Did you hear that? I'm not talking about the phone. <laughs> he said, I wasn't willing to yield to them even for an hour. Christian, can we stop yielding? Even for a minute, people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus. They don't need to hear your, our opinions. They just need to know that there was a man who came down from heaven, fully God, fully man, that gave his life for them so that they could spend eternity in heaven. That's what, that's what, that's what they need. That's what I needed. That's what you need. But every time somebody asks us a hard question, if we step back and go, look, man, I, I know. It's, it's all right. God's not mad about that. He still loves you. You're going to be answerable for that. People, <coughs> see how I say this, well. <laughs> People ask hard questions. I got a guy I know I've known for 15 years, homosexual. And he asked me if he's going to hell. If he continues doing what he's doing. I don't want to hurt this guy. I don't want to hurt his feelings. But I'd be doing an injustice to tell him that God's going to love him through his sin and redeem him anyway. So I'm obligated to stand firm without budging even for an hour so that he might know the Jesus that I know. Because as long as someone tells him that's okay, it only takes one to tell him it's okay. 99 tell him it's, it's wrong, he's not going to listen to that. If one will say okay, he feels good about what he's doing. It's the same way for all sin. This, this passage in, in Ezekiel, Chapter 3, verse 17. Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require on your hand. Did you hear that? He said, I've, I've set you as a watchman. In other words, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. I've given you the responsibility to tell people. That is sinful. That's going to send you to hell. That's going to separate you from God. And if you tell him, then when he dies, he'll answer for his iniquity. You'll be fine. But if you don't tell him, he dies, he's still going to be responsible for his own iniquity. Because we all stand before God on our own merit, or on the merit of Christ Jesus, as it were. 
But because I didn't tell him, I will also be accountable for the blood on my hands. Because I didn't tell him the truth. Y'all understand the weightiness of that? I want you to think about the weightiness of that the next time somebody wants to be confrontational. Stand your ground. Be gracious. Be kind. Be long-suffering. Be all of those things. But don't be compromising. The gospel can't be compromised. The truth can't be compromised. It's time for the church to rise up and say, this is the ground that we stand on and stand firm in it. But that's difficult. Nobody said it was going to be easy. But it's necessary. One of the most heart, and I've shared this before, one of the most heartbreaking ideas in my head, and I can't back this up with Scripture necessarily, but is to be standing at the throne of God in the great white throne of judgment, and God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, that shouldn't scare you. That should make you happy. That does make me happy until I start to step away. And he says, stop right there. Hold on, I'm not done with you yet. You're good. You see that guy over there in that other line? I provoked you by the Spirit to talk to him, and you didn't. Can you tell me why he's in that other line? Because the blood of the person that I didn't tell the truth will be on my hands. Man, that's heavy. Why do you have to be confrontational? Because it's important. And in confrontation, Paul was confirmed. It says that they gave him the right hand of fellowship. Which means he declared his gospel. He declared the gospel to them, what he had been revealed. They said, man, that's, that's good. Said that they, had, they added nothing to me. And when the, every time I read that, I have a negative connotation of it. Because they didn't add anything to me. In American society, that's how we would say it. Well, they didn't add nothing to me. But I think this is a compliment uh, uh, to him. Because they didn't add anything to the gospel that he was speaking. He said, they didn't even add anything to me. They just gave me the right hand of fellowship. So they said, by not adding anything, they were saying, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. There's nothing more we would add to what you're saying. They gave him the right hand of fellowship, confirmed him in ministry, and sent him to the people that you would ex least expect him to be sent to. Not the Jew. He was, he was prepared his whole life to speak to the Jew. He was sent to the uncircumcised, the Greek, the Gentile. Why? Because that's where he was weakest. That doesn't make any sense. It does when you think in your weakness, God is seen as strong. Prepared his whole life to speak to one group of people. And God said, awesome, go talk to those guys. Oh, man, my ministry is going to be awesome. I'm going to speak to so-and-so and so-and-so. And God says, go, go stand in that ditch and talk to that guy that nobody else is talking to. Go feed that guy that nobody else is feeding. Whatever your calling is, however you prepare for it, know that God determines what it is. Amen? And so he sent him to the uncircumcised. And he says they only had one request of him. And this was it, according to the text. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, or no, I'm sorry, I went too far. They only asked us to remember, verse 10, they only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do.
Do you know God, grace is God's expression of love to us? And the way we love other people is God's expression of love to them. Action requires action. If you believe that grace is what the Bible says it is, that it is God's expression of love to us, then the action we have to take according to that truth is to love other people so they may see the expression of God's love too. The only thing they ask is that I tend to the poor. That I don't forget what God called me to. One of the first conversations we had here as a plant team had the leadership out here and we were talking about, man, we want to reach the people that no one else is reaching, the people that the disenfranchised, the isolated, the, the hurting, the, the drunkard, the whoremonger. All, I mean, we just listed all these. God, give us these people. And Lane Mullins, I'll never forget it, <coughs> sat over here in this corner, and he said, you know, if those are the people you're asking for, be ready to receive those people. They're not going to smell good. They're not going to act right. but be ready to receive them and love them where they are. And that's how truth plays out in action. By standing firm in what it believes in, preparing itself, being confrontational, but ultimately by just expressing the love that God expressed to you to other people. And in doing that, we glorify God in everything that he is and everything that we do. Amen?